seeing a need there and coming up alongside uh, Daniel there. Uh, before, we, before we start the message, we have a couple things we wanted to celebrate first as a church. Um, two different cases uh, of men pursuing a dream. Um, Preston, if you want to put the photo on, the one is, the first one is with uh, Mike Slayball here. If you know anything about Mike, you know he's a passionate firefighter, and he's been with East Homes for quite a while, and he recently, was it just this past week, got a job, full-time job fighting fire, as a firefighter, hopefully he won't have to fight too many fires, in New Philadelphia. Uh, so we just, I just know that that has been his passion, that's where he's been, that's just what he's been, sh- what he's been shooting for, and I wanted to take a little bit of time to celebrate him this morning. Uh, as I was thinking of what I wanted to share, uh, and I thought back to, gr- I grew up over at their house, uh, and most of my Christmases were spent uh, down in Florida with them, and their family has made a huge impact in my life. In fact, as I was just thinking about it, I probably wouldn't be standing up here if it wouldn't be for their family. Um, and fun, a little funny story, Mike, he was always the I, I'm really good friends with Josh, his oldest brother, so this will show my age a little bit, but uh, he used to, he was a dynamite Game Boy player, and Mike used to occasionally sit on my lap and play Game Boy, and I just thought that was a funny memory, thinking of, of my, and he was a funny guy, but I just wanted to tell you, I'm proud of you, seeing the man you're becoming, and as I was thinking of what I wanted to share, uh, I got a phone call yesterday from your dad, and I wanted to, he wanted me to share this with you publicly. He said he wanted, he, he wanted to be here and share it publicly, but he's uh, with going with John Schmidt this morning to uh, prison ministry, and so he couldn't be here. And so he just asked if I would share this. And he basically just said that he knows that the last couple of years have been difficult years and that he wants to publicly affirm you, tell you how proud he is of you, and that he loves you. And we just had a really good conversation. I just thought, it's so powerful. And he, just, he wanted me to share that with you, uh, just how proud he is of you, and that he wishes he could be here and say it in person himself. So, bless you, works. Actually, and so, with that, if you want to come up. Yep, you got to come up. Mike comes from, like I mentioned, he comes from a really good family. and just the, uh, Actually, Nick's here. Thanks for being here. And uh, just, yeah, the difference that they've made in my life has been huge. But anyway, I'm not, i to stay back a little. I'm not a really good gift giver, but I tried to go all out. I looked at a lot of different scenarios, and my wife felt that they were inappropriate for upfront. So we went with the appropriate one. And if you see that photo up there, and we went, I ended, went to Walmart and got you a cake with that photo on there. Congratulations, Mike. now it's up to you if you want to we have a fellowship meal if you want to cut that in a lot of pieces and we can partake in your bravery and your shooting for your dreams and maybe we can shoot for our dreams Uh, but yeah uh, we'll be praying for you Mike we'll be praying for Liz as well as they venture into this new journey and then the other one is uh, David now I just found out this morning that he graduated this week from Kent State with uh, a degree in computer science. 
and says, sorry, I don't have a cake for you because I just found out this morning. I'd have had a cake of you hacking in to the NSA and their deep state secrets or something uh, that we would have had here as well. But congratulations. I know that's been a dream of yours for a long time as well. So we're excited for you and to see where God takes you there. So, uh, so yeah, I just wanted to spend a little bit of time just uh, congratulating them, letting them know uh, how proud we are of them. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at love one another. Uh, we've been, this is the third part in our series of Love Works. We've looked at love God with our whole heart. We've looked at uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, now we're going to look at love one another and how, in particular, that plays into taking the gospel to the world. And I wanted to thank Aaron for what he shared this morning. If you weren't here before Sunday school, you missed the better version of this message. So thank you, Aaron. Um, and to Leon for leading out and the men for taking the time to pray for us. Man, that was such a blessing to, to just have them care enough to rally around and, and pray for Daniel and myself. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, just a little bit before we... If you want to open your Bibles to John 13... We're going to be specifically looking at verses 31 through 35. And as you're turning there, uh, I should also make note that uh, Sean in the back there looked at me and said, Ah, you've got a watch on. You're not going overtime. I'm getting out of here if you do. So I've, just so you know, Sean, I'm watching. Plus, I don't have that much I want to talk about anyway. Uh, but as you're turning to John 13, uh, I wanted to start with a a little bit of an example in, that I just heard recently. I'm go, reading Seth Godin's new book on marketing. And if you're thinking, like, how are you going to pull marketing into a love one another? Uh, he gave an example in there. It's from a Harvard professor of the business school there named Theodore Levitt. Uh, an example that he gives on marketing, he says that no one wants to buy a quarter-inch drill bit. What they want to buy is a quarter-inch hole. And I promise you I'm getting somewhere with that. But no one wants to buy a quarter-inch drill bit. They want a quarter-inch hole. And the reason they want a quarter-inch hole is so that they can take their, two, couple, their pieces of wood, drill holes through them, assemble them, build a shelf, put it in their house, and organize their room, put family pictures on there, and create a, a home, a place where people feel safe and secure. Uh, so no one wants a quarter-inch drill bit. They want the hole because it builds the shelf where they feel safe and secure. And as I was listening to that, it's a, I guess I'm giving you a free little marketing tip there. But I thought, you know, in many ways the church is the same way. If you ever come here during the week when no one's here to pick something up or whatever, it's empty. There's, there's no life. Like, there's just empty. It's, uh, and so no one woke up, wakes up on Sunday morning and says, I want to go to a church building. What we want is we want to go to a community. We want to go to a church building because there's community there. And in community, there's love. And when we experience love, we feel safe. We feel secure. We know we have a place to belong, um, to be known, to be fully known, to be accepted. And so that's what, that's what we long for. And, and in that, we have the freedom to, to love uh, we have the freedom to love dangerously. We have the freedom to take risks uh, to go outside of our comfort zone. So when we say all humans long 
for love because it creates safety and security, acceptance, to be known. We're not talking about a comfort zone. In fact, it creates the opposite. It's much like a healthy family. When the children know that they will always be loved and accepted at home, they have the freedom to go out and risk and to, and to, yeah, and to, take, to, to push themselves outside of their comfort zone because they know they can always come back uh, to the place where they'll be fully known and accepted. And that's at the core of, uh, of, of how, we, how we change the world, of, of why Jesus in his teachings here is saying it's only by loving one another can the world believe uh, and, tr- and see uh, Jesus and believe. And I think as, as we look at that example, and especially in the, as I was studying John 13 here, thinking of that example, I just had to think of where providence is right now. Uh, we're at a very pivotal spot here at Providence. Uh, the church we become at Providence, what we've be- accomplished, what will define us will be de- determined by the love we have for each other. Um, whether we agree or disagree, um, can we love? Uh, if someone's hurting, can we love them? And I'd actually have to think of the opposite. If someone is experiencing success, if things are going right for them, can we come alongside them and love them and celebrate that their business has gotten 10 times as large as mine has or, you know, like they're experiencing success? Can we celebrate with them? Uh, and and in how, in when we do that thoroughly as Christ commands and shows in John 13, uh, we begin to, to change the world, but maybe more importantly, we begin to impact our community specifically for us of charm when we love one another and we showcase that. If you're in John 13, we're going to read verses 31 through 35, and I think I'm reading out of the Life Application Bible, so it might read a little bit different than yours. Uh, and then we just, after I read these verses, we want to just look at the whole of chapter 13, the first couple, some of the verses, just in a more of a rough nutshell, and then focus on these verses. And so I'll just read these now, and then we'll dig in. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, The time has come for me, the Son of Man, to enter into my glory, and God will receive glory because of all that happens to me. And God will bring me into my glory very soon. Dear children, how brief are these moments before I must go away and leave you. Then, though you search for me, you cannot come to me. Just as I told the Jewish leaders, so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's it's an incredible thought that Jesus is saying, your love one for another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. It's not by the things we do as far as what we accomplish. It's not even by by our impact, how we reach out missionally. Um, It's, or it's not even how much we give. It's our love one for another that shows the world. And we just want to try to unpack a little bit why is Jesus saying this? Why is he saying it's a new command? What's, what's different about this? Um, and we, I, I want to start at the beginning of chapter 13. And yeah, for the sake of time, I'm not going to go 
verse by verse, but I want to read verse 1 because it really sets the tone of how to love one another well, how to love deeply. Because the pass, before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He now showed the disciples the full extent of his love. So in the first 12 chapters of John, John primarily focuses on Jesus' public ministry. And from 13 on, we, uh, John focuses on Jesus' private ministry, those that were the closest to him. Uh, and here we see that Jesus is aware that his time has come, that, he, that tomorrow uh, he's going to go through the journey of the cross. And so at, at this pivotal moment, when Jesus is aware that his time is here, uh, he, I, maybe I'll just re- read a little bit what I wrote here. If ever there was a time for Jesus to focus on himself, it was now. Knowing the agony of the cross was before him, to feel sorry for himself or his circumstances, or maybe just simpler, if there ever was a time, knowing the agony of the cross was tomorrow, he should have had the right to focus on himself, to think, why do I have to go through this? Or at the very least, that the disciples should be speaking into him, into his life, and not him into their life. But we see in verse 1 that he's aware of this, but he now showed the disciples the full extent of his love. So this, when we look at loving one another to show a world, this sets the tone. This is the model that Jesus sets before us, that no matter what our circumstances are, we reach out to, we we love those closest to us. We pour into them with everything that we have. And uh, the first way that he does that, it says that he he got up and got some water ready, got a towel ready, and began to wash their feet. Uh, And I guess we didn't have communion this fall, so maybe I can get into that a little bit. But uh, uh, So the first thing he does is washes his disciples' feet. And again, here he's showing in his darkest hour that he is going to do the work of, in this culture, what a lowliest of servant would do. Uh, And that was to get down and wash their feet. In a commentary, I read... Appear to peer very rarely washed each other's feet, except to show a great love that they had for each other. And so here Jesus is modeling to them that the, the teacher, the master in my kingdom isn't greater than the servant, that there are no titles. Servant leadership is the hallmark of his, of his ministry, and he was modeling that no matter what the circumstance, we love those around us, those in our community, our church, our family. And then verse 15, and we're just going to briefly work through some of these to, to have a little bit more time on where we want to go. But he just says, I have given you an example. Uh, and that example, I mean, is what we've been talking about a little bit. And I just written down, he's given us an example, again, of how to love dangerously, deeply, how to love sacrificially, and he's at, can we love as he loved? And, bef- uh, I wanted, and then I wanted to spend a little bit of time, verses 21 through 30, because these are powerful uh, verses, and it's the betrayal of Jesus. It's Judas. And I, I really liked how in Sunday school we looked at the example. I think the last two Sunday schools, we've, we've really referenced 
what did Joseph experience? What did Mary experience? And to put the full humanity to the story, put all the emotion to the story, and not just historical fact or looking at it from an overview of knowing it'll work out, but really looking at the emotion to it. Um, And here in verse 21 through 30, Jesus prophesies of his betrayal. So Jesus is aware of everything that's going to transpire from the agony of the cross to the betrayal from a friend and as he's prophesying. And so just sort of imagine this room where they're having a feast, uh, the Last Supper, and that the disciples aren't aware really of what's happening. A lot of times I just have this picture in my head that when Jesus stepped up and said, one of you is going to betray him, and he walks over to Judas, and all the disciples just look at him. And, but that's not what's, that's not what's happening, uh, because it says that Jesus prophesies, and John is reclining beside Jesus, just hanging out, and Simon Peter over on the other side is like, hey, John, like, can you find out who he's, who, who's going to betray? What, what, what's happening? And so it says that John looked over to Jesus and asked him, who's going to be the one that's going to betray me? And Jesus says, the one that I give this morsel of bread to. And just a side note, before we continue with the story here, uh, the, the, on the morsel of bread, I, f- I just found it interesting. A host at a feast, who's, this was the role filled by Jesus, so Jesus was the host here, uh, would dip into a common bowl and pull out a particularly tasty bit and pass it to the guest as a special mark of honor and friendship. And so even in this last moment to Judas, Jesus was demonstrating, and I don't think in a passive-aggressive manner, of, uh, but that he truly meant it, a final gesture of his love for Judas, even though he would betray him. And so only John was aware of what was happening here um, because the last part of 21 through 30 says that the disciples just assumed Judas went out to take care of some stuff uh, with either the money or uh, I sh- uh, a couple different scenarios. And only John was aware of what was happening here. And the reason that's re- so relevant, and I hope I can really bring this out, was because only in John, the Gospel of John and the Epistles of, of John, do we see the word, a new commandment. And it's like something happened to John here that the other disciples didn't get of what love truly is in the new covenant. And it's not, because when when he sees him hand that piece of bread to to Judas, John has to, he's, he's he's a person. Judas was his friend. He had to think, not Judas, not the guy with the, that, my friend, the guy that had the money for the last three years. And the things, and I think it began to make sense to John, and this is why he says it's a new commandment. He saw Judas having walked alongside Jesus for three years, having been Jesus' disciple, having been part of, of healing, having been part of helping the poor, and he begins to see now why Judas reacted negatively at times with when extravagant love was lavished with Mary, was lavished to Jesus, or when he didn't like how money was given to poor or different. How Judas, he, he began to see that the version of, of love that only does it because it's commanded is not love. 
that there's a new commandment coming, a new type of love. Um, and, and, and I think only John really picked up on this, and that's why, uh, and it's, it's mentioned uh, in the Gospel of John and multiple times in uh, First John and Second John. Uh, and I just found that quite interesting that the other disciples didn't seem to pick up on that, but it really transformed John and his understanding of love. So sort of with that as the basis of Jesus having poured into, at, his worst, at his darkest hour, having poured life into, at the, on his last day, to his disciples, having washed their feet, how he handled Judas' betrayal and still showed extravagant love to Judas. I wanted to focus a little bit on verses 31 through 35. And uh, in 30, so, uh, Judas has just left the room and at the very moment that the betrayal is in motion, the darkest hour of his life, Jesus says, now he will be glorified and God through him. And so at this darkest moment, Jesus is looking past the cross and he's looking at that glory that he'll have again with the Father. Uh, and as I was studying that, I found that so powerful and so beautiful when it comes to loving each other. Can I look past if a brother hurts me, or if I hurt a brother, I guess I have to go to him and apologize, but can I look past the things of, of jealousy, of, of if he's more successful, whatever holds us back from just really lavishing love on each other, can we look past it? Because there's a much greater eternal perspective to, to our commu- fellowship with the Father, with Jesus, and with each other. Because when we experience that love with each other, that true love, we experience Christ. We experience uh, why, we, why we were created, why we're here. Um, so above all, Jesus was looking past the agony of the cross, anticipating the glory that he would have with the Father when it was over. I just think that context is so important to understand when we look at loving one another. Verse 33, he says, and I think I, I wrote down the NIV one here, but little children, I'm leaving. And so up until now, because we're talking about the mark of a Christian, the, or the mark of a disciple of Christ, I should say. So up until now, it's pretty simple. How, how did you know if John, Matthew, whoever was a disciple of Jesus Christ? It was pretty simple. Whoever was following Jesus, where Jesus went, they went. And so, you, you know, obviously you could look and say, oh, that's the disciple of Jesus Christ. That's a disciple. Uh, and so that's, uh, that so far has been the mark of, of, of a disciple. But Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, and where I'm going, you can't come. And that's where, uh, as we look into, uh, sorry. So yeah, th- things were about to change because Jesus was leaving. And Jesus says, the evidence of your discipleship will change now. Now people will know that you are his disciple by the love you have one for another. So before it had been physical, now Jesus is saying to the disciples, you will be known as my disciple by your love one for another. Uh, It is the distinguishing mark. Love must be the distinguishing mark of Jesus' disciples. It is the distinguishing mark of discipleship. Put, uh, and this is Colossians three twelve through 14. I just wanted to briefly look at it because it helps bring this out. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. 
And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So we can have all the good things. I can have compassion. I can have, we can be there for each other. But if it's not in the new commandment style of love, it won't accomplish anything. And it's only in this love that perfect harmony uh, comes. And so for the next couple minutes here, I, I wanted to look at what, it mean, what is this new commandment that Jesus is teaching. Because in Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18, um, from the beginning of Scripture, God had commanded his, the children of Israel, God had commanded love, to love your neighbor. Uh, so this command was not new. It was from the beginning of Scripture. So, so what, is, what is new about it? And in the Old Covenant, so up, yeah, up until now, it's been the Old Covenant. And in the Old Covenant, it was simply the Holy Spirit wasn't here. It was, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. They were simply imitators of the command to love, to respond in obedience to the law that they saw modeled and taught. So basically, up until now, we saw it as Scripture. It is my, I'm commanded to love you, and thus I obey. The difference that Jesus is beginning to teach that only John has grasped at this point is the new commandment to love one another is produced through the new covenant by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So now we begin to love through the power of the Holy Spirit and not the power of the law. 1 John 2, 7 through 8 uh, really brings this out. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word you have heard. And this is the law that we've been, this is Leviticus, this is Deuteronomy. The old commandment is the law. Uh, simply obey it, imitate it. At the same time, it is a new commandment. So while it's the same law or the same words, it's an old commandment, but it's now a new commandment. I am writing to you, which is, and this is important, which is true in him, in Jesus Christ, and in you. So it's true in Jesus Christ, and it's true in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. And the difference that John has picked up on is that we, in the new covenant today, get to go from imitators to participating. We get to be participators with Christ in love. And that is the difference that, yeah, like I said, that John picked up on. We're no longer imitators. We're no longer obeying. We're participators. We're one. John 17 brings it out as well. We're one. And in that one, we get to participate fully in that love. And that should, should, will change everything about how we love each other. Uh, now that we through the power, the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, we get to participate fully with Christ and not just obedience. And the last part of this verse I want to really focus on as well because the participating is key to understand that we are 
It's true in Jesus, and it's true in us. Uh, But because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. That's why it's a new commandment as well. The darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. So what's new about this commandment, other than we get to be participators with Christ now, is that never before has the Son of God, has Jesus come to earth. Uh, never before has he given his life, has he died on the cross and, and rose and ascended to heaven on behalf of us. Never before has uh, the Son of God come into this world. Uh, never before has heaven, it's Christmas season, never before has heaven come to earth. Uh, the veil was torn. Jesus is saying his kingdom will arise. And he's saying what you had hoped for would come is already here. Uh, the darkness is passing away and the light is already shining. He's saying uh, that the, uh, the future is already here. What you hope for, it's already here. The kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of God is already here. So we get to be participators, not just imitators. And Jesus has come to the earth. He's given his life. The Son of God has come. He's walked. He's, he's given his life so that the darkness can be pushed away, lightness can come in, and that we get to experience heaven here on earth and begin to, to show that out to, to an unbelieving world. And it starts with loving one another as he loved his disciples. Uh, it's a Messiah-led newness. It's not a command. It's a Messiah-led newness. We're one in him. We're participating. We're going out. And he's given us the power to live in his kingdom right now and not just at our passing. The other aspect that it's uh, brought out, um, I'd also, and I touched on this, but he he allows us to participate in his love through his death and resurrection. The other aspect that he brings out is found in John 15, 13 with this. Greater love hath no man than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. He modeled that the new commandment is a sacrificial love. And not just in life. People will know that providence is following Christ, that we're his disciples by how we lay down our lives for each other. Uh, In little ways and in big ways. And it's not just laying down your life in death. It's in little ways as well. Can Can we do that? Can we always look to celebrate the, the, the brother, the sister at Providence instead of making it about ourselves because uh, that's the easiest thing to do. And I want to just close with uh, 1 Peter 4, 8 because we've been looking at all these of what love is and the reality of it is we are, as, even as we're expanding the kingdom, walking in, in the kingdom, uh, 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. We are human. We will mess up. Many times I will put my selfish flesh above the needs of someone else, even though that's the opposite of what Jesus modeled. Um, and, and yes, I need to, to, to seek for, to apologize, but, but in that love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, love transcends all uh, and so I, I just wanted to, yeah, just sort of conclude with that. Just as we look at 
where we've been, where we're going, um, who we are in Christ, how do we love one another, the beauty of Scripture, the beauty of Christ, the beauty of the Holy Spirit, the new covenant is uh, love covers a multitude of sins. Um, so that, uh, that sort of wraps up this section. Hopefully you at least picked up a little bit of getting to be going from imitators, obedience, to participating kingdom here on earth. Christ, uh, we get to experience his kingdom now and expand it, live in it, and when we do mess up, love covers a multitude of sins. Make it right, but know that we can go out from here and still uh, love each other deeply. So thank you for your time. Uh, maybe we'll just briefly close with a short prayer for this. And then after this, I've asked Tim and Diane to come up for a commissioning of their uh, elder of worship. And so as, uh, after I'm done praying here, closing this, if you guys just want to come up, we'll just do a short commissioning. And uh, then we also have a fellowship meal. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this Sunday. God, thank you for your willingness to, to, to love so deeply and extravagantly uh, on our behalf. God, thank you for the new commandment that you've given us that we get to, to love in a way that is, is completely different and, and far greater to uh, participate with you. Help us to really begin to, to have a passion to, to know what that means, to live in that, and to, to have a passion to, uh, to live in your kingdom here and to, and to expand what you started here, to play uh, what you've called us for. God, I want to lift up providence this morning to you. And as we go out from here, God, help us to love each other deeply. Uh, no matter where we're at in our life, that we would, that we would fight on each other's behalf, that we would love, and that we would, that we would know that this is a place where we can always come back to, that we can come home to, and know that we're loved. In Jesus' name, Amen. So if you guys want to, Tim and Diane want to come up. Um, I'm excited to have Tim and Diane on our leadership team. Uh, Tim, I looked up uh, Titus this morning, and I looked at the qualifications of an elder, and I didn't see any that you didn't hit, so I figured we can keep going with it. But no, uh, Tim is a, well, Tim, I, I've known Mike my whole life. I've also known Tim my whole life, We've and good to see Randy's here, uh, uh, and I, but uh, I've, we were neighbors our whole lives, actually, growing up, and there was a time Again, only because of age that I might have actually been better at him than like in sports and stuff, but it's only because I was like 15 years older than by the time he was six, he was already way past me. But, uh, but uh, I've been able to see him grow up to, uh, to mature, um, and not that you were immature, but to, to grow spiritually. And, uh, to, uh, and now to have him on the leadership team, just to see the, the passion that he has for Christ the passion that he has for the church here and his leadership has truly been a blessing and I'm excited to have you on the team here. Uh, just have a couple questions here and uh, yes, I think they're all yes or no, but uh, I got the template from Chris and reworded them a little bit. Uh, Tim and Diane, the Lord by the Holy Spirit and through his church has called you to serve as the elder of worship. Are you willing to accept this call and by God's grace give yourself to this work? 
and this, is a, this next one is a two-part question. So, Are you willing to sacri- sacrifice yourself to minister to the needs of those in the church, to nurture and care for them, to provide an environment that provokes, promotes spiritual growth and development, and then also specifically to your uh, elder of worship, to create an environment of Christ-centered worship here at Providence where people encounter the living God through dynamic and spirit-filled worship. Are you willing to commit yourself to assist in the work of the church in accordance with God's word, the counsel of the church, and in harmony with the leadership team at Providence? So, upon the commitment which you have made before God and the congregation, we charge you and commission you as elder of worship in the Church of Providence for a four-year term. Uh, and let me just, uh, sounds sort of official, I'm not used to talking like that, but uh, uh, let's just pray a blessing on them, and then I'll transition to the, uh, actually, Randy, why don't you guys come up here, sort of, just, and I'm going to ask you, I've talked enough, I want to ask you to just uh, pray a blessing on Tim and Diana as they go up here, or go from here and lead our church in this very important position.